welcome to episode two of Femme de la Creme, where we talk to inspiring females at the top of their fields about everything ranging from female empowerment to body positivity. Today we have an absolutely incredible episode for you. We are talking to Australian burlesque royalty. She is the queen of cheeky glamour. She's performed at the Burlesque Hall of Fame. She's a snake charmer, creative director, entrepreneur, and basically if you're in burlesque in Australia, you know exactly who she is. So without further ado, let me introduce Miss Cena King. Hi, Cena. Hi, Cassidy. It's so great to be here and see you back in our favourite city in the world, Melbourne. For sure. I don't know. Do you remember we've actually met before? Of course. Yeah. Of course. I remember, I remember meeting you as Marilyn. I was Eve with a snake and an apple and a bikini. Looking absolutely um, ravishing, and- I must say. Well, thank you. Um, but I remember we recorded a really cute um, video for socials and yes. you were like, oh, hi, have you seen the president? And I was <laughs> like, no, have you seen Adam? And you're like, no. And it was just this really cute moment. Of course I remember. That's why we're still oh, friends. I feel chuffed. Yes. Well, your reputation is definitely amazing, not only in Melbourne but beyond. I had heard about you before that night and was already a fan. So I was a bit fangirly on the day that I met you. Um, so I'm very excited to have the opportunity to find out a bit more about you that we don't get to sort of hear every day. So thank you for joining me today. My pleasure. So I want to know, Cena, you won the coveted title of Miss Burlesque Australia in 2011. But the most unique thing about it is that you were a fresh face on the scene at the time. You were very new to the burlesque scene. So I would like to know, what made you launch your career in burlesque in such a unique and daring way? Um, well, you know, I look back and I wonder what it was myself sometimes, but it's it's kind of, I'm, I'm very strategically uh, minded in, in that, I just think, okay, what's, this is what I'd like to do. What's the best way to sort of go about that? And um, this was just a great vehicle for me to get exposed to the entire industry, introduce myself, my style, my creativity, and potentially start off with a national title. Um, So for me, it was, it, it just made sense as a great way to start. Of course, it's a lot of uh, pressure, but it's also, I was a little bit, uh, Uh, impatient as well so when I set my mind to something uh, I have a sense of passion and drive that instantly ignites when I really know what I want Um, sometimes knowing what I want can take forever and then as soon as I decide what I want it's just there's there's no way of of it not happening for me well you definitely succeeded you absolutely came onto the scene with a splash and it's only been uphill from there it's sensational what you have achieved I think it's safe to say that you live and breathe burlesque now I would like to know what you were doing beforehand uh before you were doing burlesque were you a dancer were you uh what sort of training had you had or was it just something that you dove into head first Sure. So I was on stage from about five years old as a dancer, but it was just through dancing schools, you know, like mm. you, you do your tap, jazz, ballet. Um, and so I, I did that from five years old. And the first thing I did was actually starting competitions when I was like six. Wow. So I started competing wow. as, a, as a dancer when I was a child. And that went on up, up until about 20 years old. And that's when I stopped performing um, or studying dance and performing and decided that I wasn't going to make a professional career out of it. 
mm-hmm. and I kind of went into the corporate world. So I had this wow. I had this vision yeah. of wearing uh, matching three-piece suits, you know, with matching. So then I did it. I lived the dream. I had mm-hmm. all my suits <laughs> tailored. I had, you know, stockings with the back seams and I had matching yeah. belt buckles to my cufflinks, to my pen. Mm-hmm. And it was really just so that I can wear these outfits, to be honest. Um, but I worked in real estate. I was an executive assistant in banking and finance. So I worked in very male-dominated industries. But there were always roles that were very, um, I was very self-reliant in the roles and I worked on commission-based things as well. But I also had, look, I had 35 different jobs before I hit burlesque. Oh, my gosh. This I did not know. I'm already absolutely loving this. You are fascinating. Well, then how has it affected your life now that you've transitioned into burlesque full-time? Would you say that it has made you blossom as a person? Has it changed like your life in a big way? Uh, absolutely. So with burlesque, what I love about it is that you can absolutely express every facet of your mind, body and soul. And that's massive for a career. You know, you've got your creative side, but then you've got the uh, strategy and the marketing, the business, the networking, you know, customer mm. service, uh, client management, um online services, digital platforms, and then you've got costume design, music design, choreography, uh, and all the sort of more feminine side of of the art form. And Mm -hmm. that's what I love about it most. And so, yes, it has been an extremely exciting thing for me as a person because, as I said, I had 35 different jobs, (laughs) all (laughs) of jobs, but this became a passion where I just got to put everything that I've ever done you know so I worked as a jewelry designer for an international manufacturer as well for a couple of years and and this is like the jewelry design went into you know my boas it went into my costuming and it kind of all tied together it's been a vessel for me to just shine in all my different departments and put all my favorite things into one And shine you do, my love. Shine you definitely do. Uh, I have to say you do radiate confidence and and glamour and I'm intrigued to know have you always been so confident in your own skin? That's a great question and we absolutely exude confidence and self-confidence, body confidence in what we do. And so you can assume that uh, all performers are comfortable all the time and it's absolutely not true. There are times that in our lives that we have not been confident. I personally am super confident within my body and myself, but it was a journey to get here. I wasn't born like that. I definitely had to overcome the same mental obstacles and the same undoing of what you're taught in society about who you are, what you should look like, how you should feel, how you should present yourself. And so I had to undo a lot of that, um, a lot of that veil, I guess, had to be lifted for me as well before I could see who I really was and and then start to love who I was. Well, that's really inspiring. That's a beautiful answer. That's exactly what I feel that I'm trying to learn at the moment with um, body confidence. And it is a journey. I'm trying to spread the message that body positivity is not just for curvier women. It's for women of all shapes and sizes, just because you're petite to know that you have still felt the pressures of society. I think people don't realize that also people on the smaller side do have issues with um, people judging them for their bodies. And have, have you had people feel like they have the right to say something to you because you're on the smaller side? 
Oh, absolutely. My whole childhood, um, I constantly was told how skinny I was. And actually not just my childhood, I've just been, you know, this was like my leg. My leg was as slim as my arm is now growing up. I just was always very petite. I was a size four in high school, then a size six. I think my mother bought me a uniform, two uniforms. She bought me two sizes apart or, you know, like a size six Mm. and a size, like a size eight and a size 10 uniform. And I never fit into the second uniform for my entire high school life. And I probably would only just start to fit it now, you know, like 20 years Mm. later. I've always been petite. I've always been slim. Um, And yeah, it was always a, a point of discussion for people they always had to point out to me how slim I was they always had to ask if I was eating properly they always assumed I ate salad which was bizarre because (laughs) funnily enough my metabolism was super fast and I would eat just as much as you know my male friends and I would eat in between university classes Mm. I was non-stop eating machine I still I still get my three solid meals a day but it was just this kind of constant talk about whether I'm eating or not eating and, you know, and then I'd exercise once and I, I would lose weight because I had a high metabolism. So it's a different it's a different life for sure, but it's just a different version of the same thing. It's caring or not caring about what you are or are not doing with your body. It's a vessel at the end of the day. And, uh, yeah, absolutely, I've had conversations with many a petite woman about what it's like to constantly have your body talk talked about by men and women as a topic when all you want to do is just be a person and have a chat and not even think about what you look like you know oh absolutely and and I do think that people don't get that enough that there's just as much verbalization of body judgment on smaller women as there are on larger I've always been more to the curvier side but Mm -hmm. A lot of my thin friends say the same thing. They they have their own insecurities. People say the same thing. Uh, have you eaten? Or like, oh, my God, eat a burger. And it just doesn't help someone with their confidence. Absolutely not. I think at the end of the day, what the answer I've discovered is, is that if you're happy being you, nothing else matters. Not what you read, not what you see, not what people say. And it's easy to say that and you're like, oh, of course, that's the answer. The answer is just to love who you are. But at Mm. the end of the day, if you just seriously wake up and you be like, gosh, I'm amazing. It's so good to be alive. And this is the thing, you know, I last year, uh, I got diagnosed with cancer and I had to have it cut out of my body. You know, it was a process where Yeah, I had uh, thyroid cancer. And so as I talked about having a fast metabolism, this is where the whole regulation system is based. It's in the it's in the neck area and it's, um, you know, it's a hormone balancing thing. Um, and so, yeah, I had to ha- go through overcoming cancer. And what happened for me at the end of that was I just got a really, I was always happy to be alive, but it was just more of a reminder that, you know, we're very lucky to be here. We're very, very lucky to be here. We're very lucky to wake up today. We're very lucky to to experience miracles, you know, the miracle of nature or plants. You know, we're just very lucky to experience, like, everything's a miracle if you think about it. 
about it. This grew in the ground, got turned into cotton, you know, whatever. Everything in our life is a miracle and I think we just forget that and here we are thinking about whether someone likes or does not like what I look like or what shape I am. Who gives a flying... This is my button. (laughs) Right? Who gives an actual what people think? At the end of the day, I'm alive I get to breathe. I get to see people I love. I get to give love to my nieces and nephews and my parents and my friends. That's what I get to do every day. And I really don't give up what I look like. But it's not about what I what I look like. Um, and that's not why we're talking today. You're not talking to me because of what I look like. At the end of the day, I don't lead from there. And I think if you're leading from a physical space in your life, you're you're bringing the energy um, around you to to constantly think about what you're looking like. And I definitely have lived that where I thought what I looked like was more important than when I had what I had to say. And I remember mm. walking around and the more I thought about people looking at me, it was as if I was in a television show and everyone was staring at me everywhere I went because I was emitting this energy of people are going to look at me, people are going to look at me. That's what kept happening. People were like, oh, I wonder what that person who's walking a little bit less confidently or someone who's trying to sneak around and no one see them. Why, you know, people are like, oh, there's a sneaky person around. People are going to look at you. <laughs> Because you're emitting the energy and the body language of someone who's trying to get away with being seen, not being seen. So, you know, if you focus on what you look like, if you focus on your external world, that's what people are going to focus on too. Wow. Sina, that is so powerful. I had no idea that you have been going through that in the past year and it just makes you all that much more inspiring because you really have portrayed such a image of strength and power throughout that entire journey. It's amazing that you haven't let it beat you down. You've just let it make you so much more appreciative of the vessel that you've been given to live in. Yeah. You know, everything has an upside and we've all been through traumas in life. We've all had unexpected things happen. We've all suffered through grief, um, you know, or you know, other people putting their onto us and <laughs> we've all been through it. This is the thing. We've all, we all go through it. We, when we're all the same at the end mm. of the day, we're all the same. And if I can do it, you can do it. If she can do it, he can do it. And at the end of the day, we all have the same option to choose where we want to put our energy and how we see things. So when when I was diagnosed with cancer, I immediately thought of what was the good that was going to come out of this because I knew that at the end of the day, the higher vibration I stayed throughout it, the better my body will heal because we'd have better energy in it to, to fight um, the battle. And so I knew that that was a thing. So I stayed in positive spirits. And by doing that, I went and stayed with my sister, who's one of my favorite people in life. She's hilarious. And um, she always respects me and treats me. I was like I was in a five-star resort at her house, you know. Um, So I went and recovered there for most of the time. And, you know, I stayed in positive spirits. I read really great things. So I fed my mind with great information. And I literally saw it as an opportunity to just, level up 
myself. I thought, oh, okay, I've got, you know, X amount of months. I didn't know, you know, six months. I've got six months to take a step back from career, from traveling, from, you know, being out there with clients and marketing, etc., and just chill, mm. you know, which is what the world is kind of doing now with this COVID-19 fiasco. It's what I, it's the opportunity I got last year. So I got a dress rehearsal yeah. <laughs> for isolation. And so, yeah, um, I just, it's, a, it's all about how you frame things. So, if, you know, you can either say, I have cancer, I could die, I'm very sick. Or you could say, I have cancer within me, but it's going to be taken out. I'm going to be okay. In the meantime, I've got this pile of books I want to read. Um, you know, I've got people I want to chat to and catch up with, or I might just want to sit and type out all my thoughts every day, whatever it is. How can I use this time to to fuel myself in a more positive way? And it's all about how you frame things. It's all about the angle that you're coming at things from. So anything that happens in life, you always have a choice in how you see it through your own lens. You always have a choice. Absolutely. That is so powerful. And I think that you've already achieved such amazing things, but with people knowing the battles that you've also faced, it's going to make you that much more inspiring. If people just watch your YouTube channel videos, you can see that you seem to have quite a sisterhood with the other burlesque girls when you went backstage at the Australian Burlesque Festival and everything. You can see that people really feed off your energy. So I'm intrigued to know with the burlesque scene, and the women that you work with, they seem to all be of varied shapes and sizes. And I know that I love burlesque for the reason that it's a space that women can come and men also and just celebrate who they are unapologetically in that space. So how do you think that burlesque supports people's body image? Burlesque supports body image in that you're not getting booked based on what you look like at the end of the day. It's not what you look like. It's what your art looks like or what you create looks like it's it's not about you and what you look like so really as a burlesque performer you become you become the vessel of expression right so it's like you're the canvas and you then add to the canvas and I'm not talking about makeup and costumes I'm talking about the whole um, embodiment of character or whatever you want to put out on stage you just become a vessel for that and it's not um, the more you show up as your authentic self, I guess, in performance, the more it's going to be received and transpired through to the audience. And that's definitely something that I prefer to do. Uh, but burlesque welcomes you to do whatever you want. So if you want to completely create another character and embody that and walk around in it on stage, uh, then go for it. If you want to just be your authentic self on stage but in a fancy costume great it's work for me um or if you want to be a heightened sense of you know your sensuality or if you want to be a heightened sense of your charm and comedy uh whatever it is it's a, it's a safe space i guess that's what it is burlesque is a safe space to express whatever you want at the end of the day and that's what I love about it it's not about what you look like and that's why no one cares what you look like it's all about your ideas it's all about your expression it definitely seems like burlesque is like this um 
place of rebellion where people just get be able to say, screw what society thinks and tells me is good. I'm going to go and I'm going to be fabulous unapologetically. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's what you make it. It's your own world. It's an empty stage for you to, to fill it with whatever story you like, whatever character you like, whatever imagery you like, whatever energy you like, whatever message you like. It's all up to you. And that's what's so great about burlesque because, like you said, there's no... There's no boundaries. Um, I mean, obviously, we're not there to offend anybody or use anyone's culture in an appropriate way, but we otherwise will express whatever we we want. And, um, yes, it's a safe place to do that. Um, I did come to know that you mentor people on burlesque and on mindset. Could you just tell me a bit more about those programs that you run and sort of how people can get involved? Sure. So my programs have all been in person. So they've all been in an intimate space. So we have a dance studio environment where we use the mirrors and we walk through confidence in a physical space, but we also talk about mental confidence and unlocking fears and any sort of subconscious barriers that may hold people back from seeing what's actually really in the mirror. So my workshops are about uh, confidence of your body, mind and soul and that's what I embody, that's what I believe and that's what I teach in the workshops through through various techniques and um, various exercises but we perform for each other. My workshop basically teaches you and introduces you to what it feels like to be fully confident in all parts of your world so that then you can walk out of the workshop and start to practice that and embody that because it is a practice. Confidence is a practice. Confidence is something that you work at all the time and it's something that grows and evolves and the more confident you become, the more your confidence grows and it's a beautiful thing. Well, then I guess my my final body positivity question for you would be when it comes to people who are struggling with body positivity and they're just on their first step of their journey, they're just realizing it's time to take a step in the right direction. What would be your first tip to any woman trying to feel more confident in her own skin or any man? All right, but body positivity tips. You know, the mirror is your best friend at the end of the day I always say if you become best friends with what you see in the mirror then you're happy to introduce your best friend to everyone I mean you love your best friend you treat your best friend like gold you, mm. you whatever your best friend needs I'm there you know I got your back best friend and it's like my best friend's feeling a bit down that's all right best friend I'll give you a bath or I'll give you a massage or I'll take you somewhere fabulous that's okay best friend And treating yourself like your best friend is a really great place to start because we all have a close friend and we know how well we treat our close friends. If you can start to treat yourself like you would your closest friend in everything you do, uh, then you will start to build a beautiful relationship with yourself and that immediately transpires to how you show up. It immediately transpires to how you look unbelievable that is I think for some people going to be a life-changing viewpoint because people definitely don't teach that on day-to-day basis so definitely hope people will check out your upcoming classes in the future but if people follow you at Miss Cena King and MissCenaKing.com they'll definitely get their updates there so now we're going to move on to a slightly different topic because I need to know more about the powerhouse that is Cena King Now, being a public figure and a creative director of your own personal brand and other events, of course, it's certainly no easy feat. 
Um, I know it takes a lot of planning, organization, and surely teamwork behind the scenes. Um, in the entertainment world, there's no real blueprint to sort of teach people how to run their business. I'd love to know what you think is necessary to build a successful team. Oh, a team. So for me, uh, when I collaborate, I like to look for people that I can laugh with, Mm. people that have, you know, have similar values, people with similar values, people that you can bond with because what I do is such a creative field that when I work with people, we need to have a creative connection. And for the best way to have that creative connection is respect, mutual respect of each other's work, um, an ability to communicate really freely, which if you're laughing and able to have a really straightforward and open conversation with someone, it's going to freely flow your ideas and be able to work together. So I definitely look for people who I have a um, an open communication with and mutual respect well um I definitely would say then you are well known for your female powerhouse collaborations I know that your shoots with Vicky Papas Vergara are absolutely iconic um what's the secret to having such a great female um collaboration relationship with her sure so Vicky and I both have the same ideas around feminine energy we love it you know and I think we both enjoy expressing it through what we do I express it on stage and in my imagery and she also expresses it through her photographic imagery and you know you see her she's got long hair down to here and not to say that that is more feminine but you know she's just curvy and beautiful long hair and she's super creative and she has giant you know pictures that she's painted all over her house so she's got a lot of strong feminine energy exuding in everything she does as I do and I think we both recognize that in each other and um, when we got together we laugh and sing and and do accents and we're just tot- like our behind <laughs> the scenes is the funniest funniest thing like we come up with new words and you know, and we just we just role play and do lots of different crazy crazy things, but you know, normal creative fun things together. And, it, and we never plan anything. We just turn up uh, with ourselves and maybe some random items, and then she'll have some random lighting set up, and we just go, "How can we make this work?" So we're very both of us are very um, organic in the way we create. We're both very um, fluid. And again, that's a feminine thing is to have fluidity and flow like water is a feminine space and energy. And so our two feminine energies combine. And that's why I think our work has such, you know, people use that word goddess and um, words that are used around really strong feminine um, archetypes and, and energy is is what comes from our work. Well, you can definitely see it flooding through in abundance. It's absolutely gorgeous, just flawless work. It's so much more than just putting someone in front of a camera. There's definitely that, like you said, that flow of energy there. Um, but then uh, if I'm not wrong, is it true that you managed to headline shows in 11 countries in one year? Yes, 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 yes. I uh, have, sometimes I have very big traveling years and then there's other years where I just do a couple of weeks in certain patches. Uh, but I, yes, I traveled a lot, a lot. It was 2018, I think it was, and it was including Europe, Australia, 
and America. That is unbelievable. And I know that you did some photo collaborations along the way. I would love to know, what is your secret to staying so organized to be able to pull off such massive projects? So, okay, organization comes from more of a masculine energy. And when I say masculine energy, I don't mean men. I mean that it comes from um, structure and order and, you know, thinking about time and other parameters that come from more of a masculine energy. So it's less fluid, it's less organic, it's less creative. So coming into that organizational space uh, for myself, I had somebody that I worked with that um, would do a lot of the emailing and managing of the negotiations and bookings and then um, manage things on the calendar. But I would actually um, really, really go over everything and make sure all my flights lined up. You know, to be honest, there's a lot of faith in what I do. And when I have a calendar, there's a lot of gaps in there. And I'm just in faith that it will all work out and it always does by the time I land I've got the gaps filled you know or I can start the beginning of a three-month tour and by the end of it there's enough time to book new shows and promote them you know for the end of it so I start enough to get started and then sometimes the rest of my tour will fill out before I get to the end of it and to the point where where we're turning people away uh, for shows because once once the wheels are in motion and the energy is sent out um, it starts to happen so when it comes to organization uh, you know um Let's pretend that's something that I'm working on. It's definitely uh, something as a creative. I think we all, not all, I don't want to say all creatives, but creativity is about um, unpredictability. It's it's not needing to know everything. It's delving into things that haven't existed already. It's tapping into a, a space of the unknown and organising and emailing and structuring uh, calendars is the opposite energy to that. So to be a creative and be in a creative zone all the time and do that, it's a balancing act. And I would say that I I do them on different dates um, and I do them all in chunks as well. So I won't try and do two hours of, um, you know, masculine energy and then six hours of feminine energy um, work. So I try to do them on different days. So there's, there's a whole day where I'm just on the computer, just emailing, just phone calls, just calendar. And then there's other times when I'm, you know, phones off, music's on, candles are lit, I'm creating and crafting and using my hands to bring things to life. Wow, that is an amazing way to look at it. Thank you so much for the insight. But your creativity definitely... Um, it, it's all inspiring and you have such an entrepreneurial side as well because I want to talk about your unbelievable king-size boas that you make. Um, they are definitely a luxury burlesque item and uh, I see them now popping up everywhere. Can you let me know how this idea came to reality? Because it obviously, like you said, your jewellery making ties into it. So tell us more about these boas. Sure. So the king-size boa started off as a prop that I just made for myself. So I made a prototype. Uh, well, I didn't know it was a prototype. It was just going to be something that I was possibly going to put into an act. It had no space to land in. It was just something that 
in a moment where I had no idea what was coming next in my career or what I wanted to do or what kind of act I wanted to make, I had I happened upon a pile of feathers that was going to be for another project and I lost interest in the project and then thought, what can I do with this many feathers in one colour? And I'd always really liked um, big feather boas because they exist and it's a thing. It, it ended up being like an amalgamation of my jewellery design days where I was designing with an international manufacturer and I, what, I, what I would always do is create things that had multi-purpose use. So I'd have bangles that became pendants that, you know, or necklaces. So necklaces that would become other things. So I was always like a double usage kind of person. <laughs> and so when I was creating this boa, I came up with this ring look that was like the rings that I designed many years ago in my jewellery life. Um, but it was just a big size and I was like, oh, who doesn't want this giant candy-covered bangle? I do. <laughs> um, and so I made it and then I realised that this design had practicality and that I could make it detachable and then they could become handheld uh, poise, what we call them. So they're, they're movable props in themselves or you can just wear them as decoration. Um, you can hang various things off them and I have attachable and detachable things that work with them. So they became a really unique function in that you could have a giant prop, but you can just pop your hands through and all of a sudden as a showgirl to have two free arms or as a chanteuse to be able to sing and swathe around with this huge prop as well, um, it became a point of difference and it changed the way that uh, boas could be used. So you know, it changed the way boas can be used and they've been being used for many, many decades. So um, I think that's why they became so popular. But how they came about was I took my my big boa with rings on it at the time is what I was calling it, um, just took it to the dance studio and I'd rehearse my normal shows and then I'd have that with me just see, I'll just play around with it and see what I can do with it. And the more I played around with it, the more I'm like, this thing is awesome. I'm definitely going to have a really cool show from this. And what was happening was the studio that I was hiring was called Bottoms Up Burlesque and it was a burlesque house and pole studio and there was always fabulous women around doing their own thing and um, the owners and other people that were in the studio would be like, what is that? You, What is that? I've never seen that. And um, it kept happening. So every time I'd go in, there'd be someone else training and rehearsing nearby and then be like, excuse me, what is that? Um and so, yeah, they were calling in, calling in people, come and look at this, come and look at this thing Cena made. And that's how it became noted to me that it was of interest and other people found it as cool as I did. And they were like, you have to sell these. And so I put up, a, um, you know, a post on my Instagram page and said, you know, introducing the king size boa. <laughs> I'm going to make these. Does anyone want one? And it went crazy. The post went nuts more than I expected for sure and I instantly got a bunch of orders and the, that's how it that's how the business began well I know it's definitely an item on my bucket list I remember that and it's been on my list of things that I will get for a big show one day okay so we won't take much more of your time Sina I've just got three quick last questions for you so we would love to know what are Miss Sina King's three favorite songs to set the mood while you're getting ready for a show or a shoot 
<laughs> I didn't think about this. I didn't think about this. All right, so Miss Cedar King uses Spotify. I use Spotify a lot and I love that it gives you a, a like a weekly suggestions thing based on things you're already listening to. I love letting that run and then when things just pop out of interest, I, I save them and then they might be my my motivational song but yeah look I'm always changing that up I definitely love Freddie Mercury um and so Don't Stop Me Now by Queen is a really good one because I'm having such a good time I'm having a ball and I think that's really good programming for when you're going into a performance or going to do something fun um so Don't Stop Me Now you know it's a great one um things that have a good message uh, what else? When I was in real estate, I used to listen to The Eye of the Tiger, you know, Rocky Balboa preparing for a fight. We'd listen to Eye of the Tiger and it, funnily it just, it's rising up, you know, I'm rising up, I'm getting into it. And it was my my pump-up song. I used to call it my my pump-up, my power song. You know, I had a power song. So before I walked into someone's property to talk to them about, you know, business, uh, I'd be listening to Eye of the Tiger in the car. You know, it's a real rising in the phoenix and over, overcoming any sort of obstacles and battles. And, again, it's about what energy you get from it, what message it's giving to you. So it's either don't stop me now because I'm having such a good time or it's I'm going to achieve this thing no matter what. So depending what you're going to do, depending on what song you want, don't go by my songs. Go by songs that really spark whatever it is that you need. So if you want to... You know, I have songs that give me a romantic feeling when I want to feel romantic. I have go-to songs for that. Normally, like Etta James or whatever will make me feel very romantic. So, you know, if I'm having date night, I'll put on that. And, I'm, you know, there's a song for every occasion and you know what your best songs are. I don't know your best songs. You know your best songs. Oh, I love it. I love it. For anyone that's watching or listening that has listened all the way through here to the end and they've got this little fire in them wishing to start and wanting to journey into the world of burlesque, what would be your best advice for the first steps of getting started as a burlesque performer? It all depends. So as a burlesque performer getting started, it is always good to get a mentor. So go to someone who's already doing it, who's already got some skin in the game, pardon the pun, but you want somebody that is already doing what you want to be doing to give you advice on a good path towards that. So yeah, I think um, finding a mentor or a great school as well, there's some really good schools with great teachers and just look into performers uh, that are teaching and look into their work. So if someone's trying to teach you about burlesque and they don't have any credentials, don't go to them. That's it. And just keep asking around until you find someone um, and then do your research. So yeah, to get started in burlesque, I recommend finding a mentor and uh, learning as much as you can from them and until it's resonating or not resonating. I know people that have had teachers or mentors throughout their entire illustrious career and they've always had their teacher or mentor alongside them. Then there's others that start with a few tips from someone and then they're off doing their own thing. But yeah, definitely get somebody who knows what they're doing to give you advice. <laughs> absolutely absolutely that is the best advice exactly it's like with 
drag queens, they have a drag mother. You've got to have a burlesque mother, right? Yeah, it's definitely important to have someone to learn alongside, someone that can say, that's a great idea. However, 25 people have done that idea in this city and you might want to go in a different direction. It's just good with someone who already has a really good broad knowledge of the scene and the industry already. Absolutely. Well, I mean... I am so excited to see what um, you still have to bring in the future to the burlesque scene. You're already an icon. You've already done the burlesque hall of fame. So I just want to know what can we expect to see from Cena King in the future? Well, that's a great question. <laughs> uh, definitely more, more glamour. You know, I think for me as a performer, having been in the game for nine years now, And I have traveled the world and I have had the most incredible clients and I've kind of ticked off my burly bucket list, hashtag burly bucket list. Really, there's not much that's sort of like the challenge for me is is now uh, giving back. So I really want to find a way to give back. I have always done it through mentoring, but if there's another way to go about that, that's something that I'm focusing on, um, how I can help more people in the industry but yeah it's less about it's less about um just performing as it is about connecting with with all the people that have been joining me uh for nine years so that for me is something that I'm focusing more on at the moment Uh, and of course still making new shows and new acts and new props and maybe new products Uh, but yeah just more of me more of the same more unpredictability more surprises I can't tell you what I'm doing because I don't know yet and that's how I've run my entire nine years and that's how I will continue to do it. We look forward to finding out I think you know if you continue to follow that uh, inspiration as it comes to you we'll all be more than overjoyed with everything that you continue to produce for us as your fan. Um, and I'm excited for you to have a long career ahead. Thank you so much for your time today, Cena. It's been an honour. Oh, absolutely, Cassidy. It's so nice to speak to you and know that you're in the same city as well. I've watched your career and I'm very uh, excited to catch up. Uh, if I can leave everyone with one message, it would be to, yes, take what you can from what you've learned from me today, uh, but always take it into your own life and make it your thing, make it your authentic journey. Looking at what everyone else does uh, is 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 good to get you give yourself some ideas and some parameters of what's possible but always make your own journey I think that's how it will last and that's why it will grow because it's coming from you people don't want to see something that already exists they want to see your version amazing oh you're such an inspirational woman Sina thank you so much and we'll be watching on Keenly all right thanks bye thanks bye Well, wasn't that an absolutely inspiring, enlightening, and fascinating conversation? It really goes to show that you just don't know what someone's going through unless you get the chance to actually sit down and hear their story. So I'm so glad you guys were here to share this with me, and I hope you'll join me again next week here on Femme de la Creme. Don't forget to subscribe to this channel, and of course, follow me on Instagram at Cassidy La Creme for updates. Now go, spread some love to the women around you, and most importantly, don't forget to show a little love to yourself. I'm Cassidy LaCrim, stay fabulous and I'll see you next time.